Good morning. Let's have our Bibles ready. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians the third chapter. We've been talking recently about having in place effective spiritual disciplines and defenses so that no one or nothing can lead you away from Christ. Back in verse 18 of chapter 2, there is that urgent warning about being defrauded. Before that, back in verse 8 of chapter 2, Beware lest anyone cheat you or take you captive. All of this in Colossians should cause us to get personally serious about having in place a strong spiritual defense system. One way to do that is through careful Bible reading and Bible study, such as we are here to engage in today in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, after prayer. Heavenly Father, we speak to Thee through Jesus Christ, our Savior, and ask that our gratitude and praise be accepted. Help us to concentrate and learn and use what we learn in life. In Christ's name, amen. Colossians chapter 3. I'm reading verses 1 through 4 of Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Let's make certain we understand what this expression means, raised with Christ. Let's make that our beginning place and our pathway into our text. Raised with Christ. Think about a very simple sequence. Dying, being buried, and then being raised. We certainly observe that sequence in the events of Christ's work for us, as documented in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus Christ died, He was buried, and was raised from the dead. Now, if you've been baptized, when you were baptized, it can be said you were raised with Christ. Raised out of spiritual death. Raised out of the pit of sin and its consequences. When you obey the gospel, being buried with Christ in baptism... You are raised with Christ. You die with Him. You're buried with Him in baptism and raised with Christ. And so think of being raised with Christ as a description of the beginning of a Christian's life. And think of being raised with Christ as your current condition if you're continuing to follow Him and obey Him, raised with Christ. Christians are those who have been raised with 
Christ, buried with him in baptism, and now this identifies Christians, raised with Christ. Think of yourself that way now, if you've obeyed the gospel. Now it says, if then you were raised with Christ. The word if in this case does not express doubt, rather it expresses condition. If you have met this condition, if you have the NIV, the NIV says, since then you have been raised with Christ. So Paul is addressing Christians and he says, if this is true of you, if you've been buried with Christ in baptism and then raised with him out of sin and spiritual death, if this is your situation, so what? Here's the so what. Seek those things that are above. If you've been raised with Christ, if you're a Christian, then this should be what your life is about. Seek those things that are above. Now, here's what I know about every one of us. Every day when we get up, we have to deal with earthly things. Every day when we get up, we have to deal with earthly things. You have to have clothes to wear, a house to live in, groceries to eat, transportation and medical care and paying taxes. We are lately concerned about politics and international conflict. Even in the operation of the local church, you have to be concerned about certain earthly or physical matters. We have and we are in a building, for example, and we have security. So we have to deal with earthly things all the time. My point is, for each one of us, there are earthly matters we cannot ignore. You cannot ignore these things. In order to be engaged in full responsibility, you have to deal with earthly matters. But while we must deal with earthly concerns every day, there must be one concern that dominates our thoughts, our words, actions, and reactions. Seeking those things that are above. That what, that's what must dominate. We must have a heart that is always seeking those things which are above. Even though the things below require attention and responsibility. We must always be seeking and have our mind fixed predominantly on those things which are above. Where Christ is. At the right hand of God. Now, that's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge. To take care of things here on earth responsibly, with maturity, and efficiently, but without compromising or giving up our spiritual center, our seeking of heavenly things. I know people and you know people who have failed to deal with this challenge. Maybe, maybe all of us can say there was a time in my life, maybe it's now, maybe it was way in the past, when I didn't deal effectively with the challenge of putting spiritual things first 
and earthly things here. The focus sometimes is primarily on this world with occasional thoughts about heaven and Christ and God and eternity and all that. A lot of people today get thoroughly involved and immersed working 10 to 12 hours a day, children involved in excessive curricular activity and plenty of time devoted to recreation. You wouldn't want to leave that out, but no time to assemble with the saints or consistently attend Bible classes or do Bible reading absorbed in this world, consumed by it, preoccupied, dominated by it, a slave to this world, and only occasionally you give some thought to eternal matters. Must not be that way if we really want to arrive at the destination. I hope and pray that that never happens to any of us, that we become dominated by earthly things. I hope we can still reach the people who have fallen into that trap of materialism and earthly occupation. Well, here's what Paul says about all of that. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. This should be my priority. This should dominate everything else in my life. And this should be true of every one of us. And this word, seek, is a verb. Seek is a verb. It requires individual activity. It requires the participation of one who is responding to God thoroughly from the heart, who believes in Christ and wants to grow spiritually and never again become dominated by earthly matters. So that's Colossians 3. We've covered verse 1. Your questions or comments would be welcome. You see what that's about? Right along with this idea of where your heart needs to be, verse 2 says, set your mind on things that are above, not on the things on earth. The challenge is before us again in verse 2, dealing with earthly things responsibly and with maturity, but having your mind set on things above. One man put it like this, you have to keep your hands on the daily task of life while your heart is set on eternity. I want you to give that some thought. You have to keep your hands on the daily task of life while your heart is set on eternity. Yes, that's the challenge we've been talking about. Dealing with earthly things on a daily basis to the best of your ability, but with a heart that is directed above the earth, that is set on things above. I try to think of illustrations when I come to important fundamental concepts such as this. Maybe this illustration will help. Driving. Especially when you're driving to a destination with good anticipation. You want to get there. You want to get there safely and you've got your mind on the joy and the good 
that will be accomplished when you arrive at that destination. Now, you're going through the physical actions of driving. You're giving your attention to the road signs and the road conditions and the other traffic and the weather and the speed and all of that. You're doing all of that, but your mind is dominated by the destination. Maybe it's a vacation, family reunion. You're going to visit someone you really want to see. You're coming to a Bible class, to a worship assembly. So you know there's going to be good when you get there. But you are going to be careful about the transportation of getting there. You're driving. Your mind is involved in that activity. But your mind is really centered on the destination. That's what we're talking about in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. I must be engaged in earthly things. I have to have clothes and groceries and transportation and medical care and all that. Uh, I have to be concerned about money and paying bills responsibly and taxes. Uh, boy, this is the season for that concern, isn't it? And, and there are things that are almost trivial that I just have to take part in. That my heart may not really be devoted to. I have to take the trash out once a week, see? So there are earthly things that require attention and require mature and responsible attention. But your mind is on the destination. Where am I going with all this? How's this all going to end? Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. One of the famous Bible commentators of many years ago is Albert Barnes. One of the first commentaries I ever had in my library. And he made a good point about this. The argument is that there was such a union between Christ and his people that in virtue of his death they became dead to sin, that in virtue of his resurrection they rise to spiritual life, and that therefore as Christ now lives in heaven, they should live for heaven and fix their affections there. Questions or comments? Verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Based on just that verse I read, wouldn't you agree, this is a case where it's appropriate to write a letter to the dead. Right? Now let's understand what that means. <coughs> it's not that Paul was writing to a cemetery and the people there, the bodies there. The reference here is to Christians. You died from sin with Christ. That old sinful life is dead. The old sinful disobedient lives should have no more existence in Christ. No life, no energy. There is a part of you that should be dead right now. That's the old sinful man. And the old sinful woman. That part of you ought to be dead. 
when you obey the gospel, you die with Christ to sin. Now, look at this. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let's talk about that part of it. The word hidden sometimes means so concealed that nobody can see you. That's not exactly the image here. The word hidden is not really the idea of concealment and not being found. It carries the idea of protection. Protection. Hidden. Think protection. Or one might use the word secure. In Christ, your life is secure. Now, if you leave him... You've left security. But in Christ, your life is secure. It's a safe place, protected by all the nourishment you receive from Him, such as what you're receiving now from Scripture. So this is all about the attitude, the mindset the Christian ought to have. Even though we're involved in earthly things, and we do earthly things to the best of our ability, there is a heavenly direction of attitude that ought to be constant. It ought not to be the case that one day I come to the services and say, Oh, yeah, heaven. Yeah, that's, that's where I'm headed. I remember now. No, it ought to be all along the way after you've been buried with Christ in baptism, you have this heavenly focus and it dominates how you manage everything here on the earth. It is dominant or predominant, it might be said. This would be a good place for me to stop and pull these verses in together. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him In glory. The writings of the Apostle Paul have movement. And I mean by that, in the writings of the Apostle Paul, you don't have a list of this and this and this, and there's no connection and we're not necessarily going anywhere. In the writings of Paul, you have movement. And here is the climax. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. There's movement here, and the movement is from the present to the future. In the present, we seek those things that are above. In the present, we set the mind on things which are above, not on things on the earth. Now, our ultimate good life in Christ has this description. When Christ, who is our life, appears, 
then you also will appear with him in glory. So you start with the idea, Christ, who is our life. So your job is not your life. Your geographic location is not your life. Sports is not your life. Entertainment is not your life. This says, Christ who is our life. Now, you'll hear those other things that I talked about. Uh, have you ever heard somebody say, I'll tell you, golf is my life. Or my job is my life. When we say this about someone, the point we're making is the person's life is all about this thing. Everything else secondary. Everything is consumed with sports, golf, career, music, whatever the description is. What the main thing should be for us is Him. With us, it should be Jesus Christ, so that all that we think and say and do should be governed by our love for Him and our interest in being with Him in glory someday. 1 John five twelve. He that hath the Son hath life, <coughs> and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If you don't have Christ, really what your life is, described in ultimate terms, is nothing. Similar to Solomon's descriptions back in Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So both in spiritual terms and in practical terms, it should be true of us that Jesus Christ is our life. And so when I attend to all the earthly things, when I take care of having proper clothing and shelter and groceries and I pay my bills and I go to work and I do all that, as I engage in all those things here on the earth, all of that should be centered in, and all of my responsibility really directed to Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of every aspect of my life. In Galatians 2 and verse 20, there's a statement that helps us pull all this together. This is Paul in Galatians 2 and verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you're accustomed to putting notes in your Bible alongside Colossians 3, 1 to 4, I'd put Galatians 2, 20. And then alongside Galatians 2.20, I'd write down, See Colossians 3, 1 through 4, for more information. So, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. I just had another thought. School shootings are in the news. All kinds of measures are being taken to try to cope with that reality. And I noticed the other day that in one classroom, in one school system, they have built safe rooms. Over in the corner of a classroom, there's something that looks like what might be a tornado shelter and probably would serve well for that purpose. But it had communication inside it to the outside world. It had air and it was bulletproof. And the students were told in a shooting situation when we are under threat, that's where we go for protection. We're going to hide in there to protect us against the threats that are coming in our direction. I think that's the idea. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. All kinds of things around us in the world we need to be protected from. All kinds of temptation and false doctrine, all kinds of subtlety about materialism and marketing, all kinds of things beckon us and plead for our attention and seek to take us away from Christ. We need to stay with Him and live in Him. That's where we find shelter, protection. We are hidden with Christ in God. And so remember what we studied earlier back in chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Live in Him, walk in Him, believe in Him, stay with Him. And that's your protection against the multitude and host of evil threats that surround us. Well, I've got some more takeaways here. <coughs> Questions, comments, remarks you'd like to add about Colossians 3? Yes, ma'am. Right, right. Have to be task-oriented, and our task is to walk in Him, to be followers of Jesus Christ, not occasionally, but every day. And that's my first takeaway. In the New Testament... There is no such thing as occasional Christianity or occasional discipleship. From time to time through the year, I am with preachers. And there will come a time when we'll sit around a table and have a meal or visit or something, restaurant or somebody's home. 
And various things come up in conversation, generally starting with what we call shop talk. How you study the Bible, what books you're reading, ideas that you have. And when we finish shop talk, it always goes to a place where I don't have anything to say. It always goes to golf. There's so many preachers that uh, take Monday off and play golf. And some of them play golf Monday morning and Saturday morning. Some of them are very, very occupied with it and find it useful. I always thought it was a walk gone bad, so I don't golf. And there are other guys who are occasional golfers. And so you have um, anti-golfers, I guess, non-golfers. You have occasional golfers, and you have full-fledged, committed golfers. Well, that's okay with golf. It's not okay with New Testament Christianity. New Testament Christianity doesn't give you some entry level, and then once you're at that entry level, you can decide whether you're going to be not involved at all, just rest on your baptism, or you're going to be occasionally involved every now and then sort of thing, or you're going to be fully committed. The New Testament doesn't give you options. The only kind of Christianity New Testament teaches is daily Christianity. The only kind of discipleship there is in terms of following Jesus Christ is commitment discipleship. Where everything you do here on the earth is driven by your primary responsibility to Him. And so when you do things here on earth to the best of your ability... You're doing that because of your responsibility to Him. Not just to make an impression on somebody here. In the New Testament, there is no such thing as occasional Christianity or occasional discipleship. Number two. Set your minds. I want to talk about that a minute. The external must always be centered in the internal. Think of that a moment. What you do outside that people can see, that certainly God can see. What you do with your body, what you do with your schedule, what you do with your money, what you do in personal relationships and how you cope with difficulty how you react to turmoil and unexpected crisis, all of that, consider that to be external. It must all be based internally. It must all be centered in your mind. And this passage tells us where your mind has to be. I think there are people who go through some of the correct externals if you were to just see the externals. Some people who go through the correct externals, but their mind is somewhere else. And that eventually comes out. We must be a people who have connected the external with the internal. And passages like this in Colossians chapter 3, describe what the internal should look like. If you could paint it on a picture or see it on a screen. 
The internal should be, set your minds on things that are above. There are many other such passages that describe the internal. Here's one most of us are familiar with in Romans in chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 is descriptive in some measure of external worship and not being conformed to the world. <clears throat> but it is centered in, it is connected to the mind, where your mind has to be. So if I'll read the Bible and pray and come to Bible classes and worship and be involved as a Christian with other Christians and be involved in the local church, all of that can help keep my mind where it ought to be. And then the externals are products of that. Do you see? The externals are connected products of that internal mindset. And that's what we try to do in Bible class. Help you keep your mind where it ought to be. Not just for 40 minutes. But after you leave here. See what else <clears throat> I've got lined up. This, this is not a divided mind. This is where we get back to that challenge we were talking about when we started in Colossians 3, 1, uh, 35 minutes ago. This is where the challenge comes in. Some people, I think, want to view this in terms of 50-50. Lord, I'll give you half my life. In fact, Lord... I'm going to be real generous today and give you 52%. But everything else goes to the world. That's just not it. That's not it. Do not think of this as a 50-50 circumstance or situation. You give your life to the Lord entirely so that your life is centered in Him and then everything that you do of earthly consideration that we have made mention of, everything you do of earthly consideration is because He is your Lord. And you want to do everything well and efficiently and unto Him. It's not a 50-50 proposition. We ought not to think of it in those terms. Uh, number four, I think I have time for. <clears throat> what helps us answer this challenge of balance and letting Christ be the center of everything, what helps us in this challenge is Paul's destination. It's a destination passage. If ever you could find a destination passage. When Christ who is your life appears. Then you also will appear with him in glory. All of this comes with a great tremendous 
reward. Now, that hope motivates. That hope anchors the soul. In the book of Hebrews in chapter 6, references made to hope as an anchor of the soul. So to keep you grounded and centered and well motivated, there is this hope that the apostle refers to in verse 4. Appearing with him in glory. Anything else about Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4? Remember I told you the other day that the way Paul writes a letter, the arguments, the affirmations of a proposition, the evidence in support of that proposition, all of that comes early in the writings of Paul. But he's taking all of that somewhere. It all has movement, and the movement is to, here's how you need to live every day. The practical section. Sometimes commentators will describe that as doctrinal. And then once you have the teaching, the instruction, the doctrine well in mind, it moves to the practical, the practice, how you live your life. And that's what we're into now. The doctrinal, propositional part of Colossians came to us in chapters 1 and 2. And now the practical part of that comes in chapter 3 and chapter 4. Are you with me there? Alright, so we will keep going Wednesday night, going to verse 5 and moving from verse 5 on. And I'll tell you what we're going to be doing in Colossians 3 and verse 5. We're going to be killers. We're going to be killers. Yes, Right. This is to avoid that. When you implement this Christ-centered mindset and life in Colossians 3, 1 to 4, you avoid that lukewarm, indifferent, occasional type of discipleship. Anything else? We have one minute. David. I hope you wake up that way tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, the rest of your life, David. All right, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Now, don't let me get away with just putting a vague thought in your head. We're going to be killers, but you look at verse 5 and see what that means. And we will get into that Wednesday night. Thank you very much for your good, good attention to our study.